0: Hello, welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm Kara Jordan, and today I'm speaking to Robin Beder, the executive editor at the Smithsonian's American Art Journal. Our goal with this session is to try to make the process of publishing in an academic journal more transparent and navigable, and to address and hopefully alleviate some issues that early career scholars face while preparing articles for publication. So again, my name is Kara. I am the president and chief editor at FlatPage, which is an editorial agency and publishing house, we're based in Washington, D.C. We work with artists, academic authors, nonfiction authors, and organizations like museums and small businesses with their editorial needs.
1: Hi, Kara. This is Robin, also in Washington, D.C. I work at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. I'm the executive editor of American Art, which is a peer-reviewed scholarly journal co-published by the Smithsonian American Art Museum and University of Chicago
0: Press. Thanks so much. So I'm quite interested to know how you became an editor.
1: Well, I had a wonderful editor in 2008, Cindy Mills, who was a long-term editor of this journal, actually. And I thought, you just have the most wonderful job getting to talk to all of these super bright scholars. Such interesting work. And I started thinking about that as a move. I got tenure uh, at my university, and I saw that the part I really enjoyed in my work was research and writing whether it was my own or supporting others with theirs. So I went through some training uh, with the University of Chicago's editing certificate program. And by great good fortune, here I am. And how did you wind up at the Smithsonian? Well, I didn't think I would, I could possibly have this job, the job that started me thinking about editing and the timing just worked out. It's such a privilege
0: well, I started off as an editor because of practical reasons. I had to fund my way through grad school. And so I started off as an editor working specifically with artists. So I was a studio manager and I was writing for artists, doing a lot of ghostwriting, editing their materials. And by the time I started to write my dissertation, I branched into academic editing. My jam is really copy editing. I did the University of California at San Diego program and editing. I also do some developmental editing, but I've actually gotten away from that now that I run an agency. I also love to work with scholars. The main bulk of our clients at FlatPage are scholarly authors. I really love to help them get their ideas out there into the world. I actually wanted to say that I invited you here today to. Talk because I've heard so much about you as an editor and we have sort of worked together behind the scenes in various ways, although we have never met before. So many of the authors that we have worked with at Flatpage have talked about you and your role in helping them through the publishing process. And so when CAA invited me to make this conversation, your name was the first one that came up uh, for obvious reasons to me. Uh, just because authors love working with you so much and you're so open to helping them with their writing. Thinking about that and thinking about the, the role that you play in these authors' writing process and, and in their careers, I'm curious about how and why you invite authors to connect with you directly. And even on American Arts website, you invite you know, potential authors to contact you. What, why did you decide to offer that? Wow.
1: Okay, first I'm blushing. So thank you for those nice words. I guess it's a little bit self-serving because I love talking one-on-one with scholars about their work. And also I, I think that when editors had taken that sort of time with me as a writer, it helped quite a lot to build a relationship that felt supportive and safe when they come to me they're often asking is my topic appropriate for the journal and i always want to ask back is the journal appropriate for you what's important to you in your scholarly profile and where you are in your career and your writing now and what you need to get done and how you want to be seen and your voice the community you want to speak to And it's just a pleasure. People let me crawl around in their heads a little bit and ask a lot of questions that you don't always get to ask. You definitely don't get to ask during a conference when it's like being at a dinner party with two-year-olds and people are rushing in and out all the time. I love a focused conversation one-on-one and just getting to hear how people came to their work and where they are with it now and what's going to most serve them.
0: So do you offer calls with authors or how does it normally take place?
1: Yes, actually, I have um, we use an online scheduling tool so uh, anybody can sign up with me. If you write to the, the general email box for the journal, then uh, Averill Glass, our assistant, will help you or write to me directly. You know, and I'll usually say, can I have um, your abstract and let me know where you are with the project? And then we have a conversation for half an hour or more.
0: I think this is an amazing service that you offer. And based on my experience, it seems to be unique within the field of academic publishing, specifically in journals. You don't see many journal editors who offer that sort of personal feedback and that one-on-one. I feel like that kind of conversation might happen at a CAA conference, that authors might approach you at those events to tell you about their idea, but outside of that um, might not get in touch with you to discuss issues that they're having or outside of whether or not you'd be interested because everyone wants to know if their topic is of interest to the people publishing it. I'm wondering if you have authors who come to you with problems that they're having with their writing or if they see issues that they uh, want your feedback on.
1: And, And I would say the thing that's different, Kara, is just I have the institutional support Most academic journal editors are also teaching full or, you know, part-time with very little release. So thank you to the Smithsonian for that. Well, there's the challenge, of course, if you're an early career scholar, of adjusting for your audience. Because when you're writing for your advisors or you're writing for a focused panel at a conference of other specialists, that's just going to be different than when you're speaking to a broader audience. And making that shift, I think, is the most challenging. And I'm sure that authors who are in that position sometimes come to you at FlatPage. What do you find when, they, when authors come to you? What are they usually looking for?
0: Sometimes we have authors who come to us because someone like you or a journal editor, a- A different publisher has advised them to seek help with their writing, but oftentimes they don't exactly know what the problem is. Um, It's up to our editors to really determine what types of problems they see in the manuscript. So their problem is that they can't publish enough or that they keep getting rejected and they don't know why. And so they come to us seeking our help in, in improving their writing and cleaning it up in just generally assisting them in getting something to that next level. I think a lot of, especially early career scholars are really troubled by this publisher parish saying that everyone has. Um, I think especially in this academic climate, people are feeling a little bit at ends in terms of how to get help and how to connect. And I imagine this has gotten worse during the pandemic and with people connecting with each other more virtually, that it's harder to, to find people to give them quality feedback on their manuscripts. You know, it's not, people don't always have the team that they want behind them when they're in the writing process. And I think that's a really important thing that editors do offer is that we provide that team that you might not have otherwise. Um, And think about your advisor giving you feedback or colleagues or fellow students or a writing group. If that's not a possibility for you, then editors can really help with giving you that kind of feedback. So again, people come to us not really, generally not really knowing what the problem is, but we are able to help them shape a submission to get it into the state where it should be to pitch it to a journal. Um, We don't only work on journal articles, I should say, and sometimes people get reader reports or peer review feedback on a manuscript, whatever that may be, and they need help incorporating that into the manuscript. They don't know how to respond. They don't know whether or not they need to incorporate all the feedback, and we help them with that, especially as you're looking toward publishing book two and beyond. I think people also have a hard time with word counts, and maybe this is also something that you see as a journal editor, that sometimes you'll get manuscripts that are not at the guideline, like, like they're not conforming to the guidelines that you've set in terms of length, and they need help cutting back or figuring out what's the most important part of that article or manuscript to bring forward in order to connect with the audience they want. Indeed that can be so
1: challenging. and I've let the journal submission guidelines be quite fluid, so it now says nine to fourteen thousand words, including endnotes, is allowed and often we get something and then the peer reviewers say, "Add this and cut that," and all of that content changes the length, and I generally feel that an article needs to be as long as is needed to make the argument effectively and concisely and not clutter it with anything else. Now something that I often find that I imagine you work with authors on a lot is how much framing to use and how the phrasing can be clipped and pinched here and there to get the word count down. You don't necessarily have to cut paragraphs and pages or lose whole sections, sometimes you can just really condense
0: overall. Yeah, bringing the wording down by trimming is uh, (laughs) a definite skill, uh, and that's where copy editing can really help. So as I mentioned, I'm also a copy editor, and I was wondering if we might talk a little bit about the different types of feedback that that people might get on a manuscript and how it varies based on that type of person. So I think that most people, most listeners are coming from an academic background and they're used to getting feedback from their advisor or a professor in a class or maybe a writing group. And I'm wondering if we might talk a little bit about how that differs from the type of feedback that you might give as a journal editor and the type of feedback that an author can expect from the editorial process at a journal. So how that differs from peer review. Well,
1: I think of an advisor or a peer reviewer as being a content expert. So they're mostly going to be commenting on whether or not It's uh, an original contribution that is well argued, that appears to be based on reasonable evidence, and that takes into consideration the historiography and argues it well. And then when I get involved, or when another developmental editor becomes involved, then I think it's a deep dive. and often we're past the point of judging whether or not to accept the work and instead we're partnering right we're like coaches and i think of the that developmental work as the editor aligning with the author and trying to really think with the author about what they care about in the manuscript and what they want to say and who they want to say it to and consequently how They can open up their language and their narrative for the uh, most effective way of taking a reader who doesn't know anything about it through the process, through the material and coming out the other end, um, thinking something different, knowing something different, having it stick with them. Now, copy editing. So I think of that as really structural, like we're thinking about how it's organized, what the argument is. Sometimes we have to kill the darlings, the little bits of evidence that we just love, but it doesn't quite fit. And then I think when it gets to copy editing, that's highly technical. That's somebody who has a Chicago manual style, memorized front and back, you know, and can apply all of those and shouldn't be asking really deep questions about content unless it appears that there is um, something of great concern that you think most readers will get caught on and say, wait, what, what? And then not in a good way. Like, I see Logical that as a Logical fallacy. <laughs> yeah, that we have content, structure, and then
0: technique. So I know that American art offers developmental editing, and I want to get to that in a second. But I was wondering if before we talk about that, you could tell me a little bit about what you think is the difference between somebody who gives developmental feedback and the peer reviewer.
1: Well, I think a developmental editor does not have to be a content specialist. I receive manuscripts on a wide variety of topics, and I think I can look at it to see, you know, how it flows. Am I getting enough general introduction before I get into detail, or am I flowing along with the narrative of the detail and then it opens up into the general discussion and that works well? At the journal, we do fact-checking, which is very unusual, you know, and so I will ask about the evidence, of course, and I'm going to look at the documentation, I'm going to look at the images together with the text, but I'm not the one to say, oh, this person has already written an article on exactly this topic, and this is not a new contribution. I, I try to find the right readers who will know, you know, or who will be able to say, oh, um, thinking on this has significantly changed and look at these publications in order to understand it. Does that resonate with what you've seen as far as the difference between developmental
0: editors and peer reviewers? I also think that peer reviewers are serving on behalf of the publication, so they have the publication in mind when they're looking at the manuscript mm-hmm. for various reasons, you know, the, the relationship with the editorial board, etc. So they're really sitting on behalf of that journal's interest. And they're, they're looking at the, at the manuscript through those eyes. And I think a developmental editor, um, as you said, can or cannot have subject area specialization. You know, it really depends on what you need to do with the manuscript. <laughs> I actually recently wrote a, bro- a blog post about this very subject, about whether or not someone needs subject area specialists to help them with their manuscripts. There are certain things that you don't have to be a, a subject area specialist to do, like for example, helping someone cut down word counts and make, mm-hmm. make their text more concise, making it more engaging for an audience. You might also think about if you want your article to speak to a more interdisciplinary audience. Um, in that sense, if you're an art historian, you might not need another art historian to be your editor But I do think for a peer review, you definitely need somebody who is a subject area specialist and can point out some of the gaps so that the contribution is really novel and that we know whether or not the author has used all of the available sources. At least that's my experience as a published author.
1: And I appreciate what you're saying about the peer reviewers doing service on behalf of the journal and on behalf of the field as well. Whereas a developmental editor um, in your kind of position would be fully and only on the side of the author. And someone in my position has to be answerable to all sides, to supporting the author and thinking about the audience and thinking about the field at large, which makes me want to cycle back to something that you mentioned but we didn't talk about, which is the writing group. And I think writing groups are just essential for getting work done. And sometimes in a writing group, your cohort becomes so familiar with your work that then they're not able to see it. And having somebody read it who's unfamiliar with it can
0: be helpful. Did you do any writing groups or writing courses while you were in graduate school?
1: In graduate school, I had a couple buddies who I would exchange papers with. But it was really when I was in the tenure track, honestly, at Penn State Harrisburg that I was in a, a writing group with a few other the faculty um, and they weren't art historians. We were all in the humanities and we would meet once a month and meet each other's work and talk and eat. And it was marvelous. It, was, it just really got me through.
0: I think that kind of team, having that team behind you is really valuable and in the writing process and essential, you know, towards getting to that point. And I'm wondering, are there things that you wish could have been better?
1: Sometimes, I did not have somebody who was looking at my um, content in relationship to the existing scholarship until it went out for peer review. And I think it would have been helpful to have a little more of that earlier on in some cases.
0: Although conferences help that way too. Oh yeah, those are great places to get that kind of feedback if you have quality questions or fellow presenters who are, you know, writing about your topic or similar things to your topic, hopefully not the same topic. Mm-hmm. In the field of U.S. American art history,
1: John Ott always asks really great questions. You can always count on
0: him to ask very thoughtful, generous questions. I think when I was in graduate well, when I would go to conferences, I would get really afraid of the Q and A because mm-hmm. there's always somebody who asks the question that you really have no way of responding to, and <laughs> I was always afraid of that type of feedback. I, and I think that carries forward into people being afraid of receiving feedback on their writing. Um, and I think for a lot of people, right, the writing process is very personal. Yes, and especially when I've edited for journals and I've only been on the the managing editing side, which means that I'm managing how the manuscripts go through the process. Or when I was the copy editor at journals, I've noticed that there's a fair amount of people who are quite sensitive about their writing. And I'm wondering if there's any tips that you could give to people about how to receive editorial feedback.
1: Well, I, I have been the nightmare author to many editors, I'm sure, because I have pushed back against the critique. I have said, you're, you're trying to change my argument, you're changing my voice. Are you sure that should be a semicolon? I've asked for things to be like deadlines postponed. So um, I am fully sympathetic to all of those urges and the desire to like keep writing and keep changing it. I know how personal it is and how heavy it can be and how it's like, it's our, it's our little baby and it's our career. And I think sometimes reviews are not nice. Sometimes reviewers have very good reason to be critical of the content or argument and are able to say that without casting any aspersions on the author as a person and i think that's essential that we want to on behalf of the field or the journal help the authors get to the best possible version of the the material whether we publish it or not
0: i think that's a really important point is that whether you're working for a journal or as an independent editor, you're really just trying to help the author to get published. That's really the, the point of our services. As freelance editors, we often say that we're the reader's advocate. So when mm. we read something, we are sitting in the reader's shoes and reading it as a reader might. So the feedback that we give is often from that point of view. And I think there are times when authors can take that personally when it's definitely not meant in that way. And I find that it speeds up the process to getting published. If you can see editing as a collaborative relationship rather than an adversarial relationship that yeah. we're trying to help, to help your ideas get received in the best way by your intended audience. I
1: think ideally it's, Editing can be an act of love and not, not disciplining. I mean, there's this inherent problem and we talked a little bit in preparation for this era about the terminology of fit. And that it indicates that the author has to change to be published in a certain venue. And that maybe they have to give up their, their voice for their priorities or their perspectives. And I think that's a big conversation that we're having in the field of how to continue, how to have a voice that works for the intended audience and venue and yet is entirely true to that author's interests and voice and the communities to which they speak.
0: I think especially now that uh, publishing is getting much more competitive, It also seems that, you know, This we're talking today about the journal article, but publishing as a whole seems to be turning more toward engaging, really engaging audiences, really engaging readers rather than, you know, the typical dry academies that we're used to reading, especially in grad school. We've all read it and cringed at it and not understood what the author was trying to say. And I think as a whole, uh, publishing seems to be turning more toward accessing different audiences with writing, uh, getting more people involved in writing, getting more people to read pieces. I'm sure you've, you all track metrics in terms of how many articles are read. Are, are you open access? Unfortunately, no. Anybody can see the
1: abstracts for the articles, but then a subscription institutional or individual is required. We always have at least um, one issue, a
0: few articles that are open access at any time. I think writing for a broader audience than just your other colleague who writes about this same subject is extremely important and becoming more important, I guess is my point. Let's turn the conversation toward the program that you offer at American Art, toward equity in publishing. Can you tell me a little bit about who the program is for and the types of services that you provide?
1: Yes, thank you for asking. So the journal was able to launch this new program's professional development program with the help of a grant from the Daedalus Foundation. We started last summer. We are providing developmental editing service to 24 authors (laughs) over a two to three year period every six months we take applications and we bring in another six authors so we're starting the second cohort now the next uh, application deadline is going to be september 15th and there's information about it on the journal and the museum websites the program is providing the developmental editing hours and workshops to demystify the process, and trying to develop writing cohorts as well among writing communities or writing partnerships that will last into the future. And the journal felt this was worthwhile for us to pursue because we recognized that institutional support makes an enormous difference in a person's career trajectory. opportunities accrue in the sense that if a student has a scholarship and they don't have to have a side job for instance they could spend more time on their papers if that institution is um, able to have faculty that teach a light load then they might be able to spend more time with their students if someone is on faculty and they get paid research leave or publication grants or research assistant or other kinds of structures those will help them move toward publication which will help them move forward toward like fellowships and career and so on and it's wonderful for somebody to have that support however it gets consolidated and there are many scholars out there who at some point in their career don't get a publication out and it can stall things and then the rest of us don't get to read their work and the stall can happen for a lot of reasons but because we are thinking about trying to remediate the inequitable conditions that precede and impede publication we are focusing on scholars who are at more vulnerable points in their career where if they have not had certain kinds of institutional support that we could offer an alternative so we are prioritizing Uh, unpublished graduate students, tenure track faculty, non-tenure line faculty, independent scholars, and junior museum professionals who have not had significant support over the last few years, and or are first generation in their family to attend college or to attend graduate school. A person doesn't have to fit every category.
0: These are just our priorities. And in this program, you mentioned that there is some mentorship, and I'm wondering if you could tell a little bit about how a person would go through this program and what they can expect in terms of the relationship with a mentor and maybe the workshops that you offer. Sure.
1: So some of the mentoring happens through the one-on-one with their developmental editor, and some happens in the workshops, which sometimes I run and sometimes they're run by Laura August, who's one of our developmental editors. who's just wonderful. All of our developmental editors, just fabulous. Elizabeth Duquette and Courtney Guerra are the other two. The journal first provides workshops on how to find the right place to publish. So one of the things that we are talking about today, how to write a really effective abstract, what to expect from an editor-author relationship, how to ask for the kind of feedback you need how to respond to the feedback you get, um, what to expect if your article is accepted for a publication in terms of the processes of fact checking, copy editing, rights and reproduction, proofing, what happens in peer review, how to respond to peer review. So there's about six months of that. About halfway through that, about three months in, the authors and the editors start working together and we're trying to be somewhat fluid about the time that they have together so that it fits the author's needs. When they're ready, then the journal will facilitate peer review of their subjects, external, fully anonymized peer review, and then they can meet with me one-on-one to talk about their strategy going forward. We do not expect the authors to publish in our journal. There's no obligation for them to do that. We want them to publish in a place that's best for them and their plans. And we also are not obligated to publish, which means that it it just kind of relieves us of a certain kind of transactional relationship.
0: So do authors come to you for this program with manuscript drafts already written, or do you also help them? craft their ideas into an article?
1: We ask that they
0: come to us with
1: manuscripts of seven to 10,000 words, including notes, ready to go so that we know they are prepared to enter the process. However, the outcome that we're looking for is not only that that one manuscript is perhaps in a better shape to go through peer review and potentially be published, but that they've acquired portable skills and that they feel they understand what that process looks like and how to navigate it. And they feel that they can share it with colleagues and they can share it with their students and help this process of demystifying it so that there isn't the barrier of what is my abstract supposed to look like? And at what point do I approach an editor and um, how serious are the word counts? If, If we can make that feel more transparent, be more transparent, I think that will open up the field quite a bit.
0: I totally agree. And I feel like there's so many points of opacity where especially early career scholars don't know the process. They don't know the steps in in how an article gets publication. And I really think that American art is taking a great lead in being more transparent about a lot of these issues. You know, we talked a little bit about how developmental editing is a very involved process. And for those who are going about this on their own, it can be very costly. And it's definitely something that shifts priorities. And one of the editors that we share, Elizabeth Duquette, uh, I was talking to her about this topic the other day, and she said there is a very robust conversation on Twitter about how, especially scholars from minority backgrounds are encouraged to get developmental editing in order to publish more so that they can get more of a leg up in the field. And of course we know that there's a lot of barriers to that. And I think a big barrier is the cost. At FlatPage, we charge by the word and we offer reduced services for graduate students as well. Um, But I think that what you're offering is a huge value. Is this ba- Was this paid for by a grant or how was it run?
1: Yes, it's a grant from the Daedalus Foundation in which everything except the standard overhead goes to pay the, the editors for their direct work with authors. And we ask, for I mean, authors are coming to us by self-identifying as somebody who who wants to feel stronger about themselves as a writer, who wants to perform better, who who wants the success, but this doesn't actually mean at all. I I if I may, I just want to say that they're not good writers. Unfortunately, it's that there is um there are conventions in this kind of writing. And so there are many ways to write and lots of places to publish. And the program is quite narrowly focused on if you want to publish in a scholarly history journal that focuses on US American We're offering a service that we think will help you get through the door so that then you
0: can have more support in the future and you can be heard. I think that's really great and also brings up a point that, you know, when I was a a young author, I found a lot of scholarly writing to be quite dense and, Mm -hmm. if I'm honest, boring. And I thought that I had to write quite differently from that and sort of break the norms And I feel like that impeded me from publishing my own thoughts, because I thought I had to do something that was very creative. But turning toward editing, I realized that with different types of academic publications, there are, as you say, certain conventions that you have to hit in terms of your manuscript. And that's not to say that you have to change your voice necessarily, Mm -hmm. um, but that for example you have to have a very strong argument you have to have defined sections to your article and i think some of these things at least in my experience i didn't realize that if you are trying to do something out of total, totally out of left field that that's actually working against you
1: and there's the risk of thinking that your voice has to sound like those authors that you're reading and i'm sure you meet a lot of zombies. These are <laughs> nouns that have um, like T-I-O-N ended it at the end of the, the verb so that it kind of kills the verb. That's why they're called zombies. I feel like I spend so much time um, trying to make zombies active and cut out prepositional phrases. And I think back to myself as a, as a writer and how much of that I did and how it, it's, it's overwritten, it's kind of cluttered, and it gets in the way of communicating what the author means to the reader.
0: And I think that gets to the next point that I wanted to discuss, is finding the right journal for your article. So
1: we've, I've, talked, I've touched on this a little bit, but I think and there's sort of four things to start with. And one is, who are you as a scholar what do you want your profile to be? Because what you publish then becomes your public facing profile. What work do you want to be known for? Number two would be, who's your audience? Who do you wanna reach? And that's about you and your personhood, you know, and your community. And then there's this gap. And on the other side of the gap is, what does the field care about? What's going to count as a significant contribution? What does your profession require? And what does your job require? And this last bit is like the difference between being at a university that prioritizes single author books or prioritizes peer-reviewed journal articles, whereas in the profession at large, it's generally peer-reviewed books. These things are not always going to line up. So I think especially early career, it's wise to be strategic in thinking about all of those elements together and to then make decisions about where you are going to focus your energy and to go for it and put your most effort into the highest impact outcome. And you may get a lot of offers to do other things. And if they are low effort, and they're um, low visibility, I think that's totally fine as long as you have the time for it. But uh, a high visibility is really worth giving some time to. And it's worth finding the right place. So I think um, once you've thought about your needs and your strategy, then there are a variety of things you can look for. And I think this is true across a variety of humanities. You can look at the mission statement of the journal and... If you can tell, see when was the last time it changed because that may or may not be current. Think about the audience that they are reaching. So some journals will be much more for solely expert readers and others will be trying to reach a graduate student or undergraduate audience. We at American Art are trying to reach the whole spectrum of readers. We're very proud that our journal is assigned regularly in classrooms. Uh, If somebody wanted that kind of breadth, that might affect their voice, their writing style, but also how much general introduction they would need to give to their topic. They should think about the affiliation and status of that journal. Our bulletin and our journal are affiliated with College Art Association, American Quarterly is associated with American Studies Association, etc. It's worthwhile looking at those elements and thinking is that an audience that I want to reach, that organization, or is that a university press that is well respected? Take a look at the editorial board. Are these scholars whose work you read, whose writing you admire? They won't necessarily be the ones reading your manuscript, but it's possible. And it certainly gives an indication of what that journal's priorities are going to be because the editorial board helps to steer the content. Looking at the table of contents over the few years leading up to your time of submission is very important to see have they recently published something that looks like mine, in which case you definitely want to go somewhere else. Are they publishing things that seem like they include the range of themes or periods or materials I'm looking at? If it doesn't, does it seem like there's enough breadth that it could? Are these things that you would want to read? I would say if you're you're finding at least one article per issue that you find interesting, that might be a good venue for you. Think about the graphic and the literary style, especially in art history. We have to think about how many images we can get. American Art University of Chicago Press is very generous with us, and we are able to have unlimited color illustrations. So I encourage authors to use as many as are essential as visual evidence. And then submission guidelines. Submission Guidelines will talk to you about the approximate length, the number of, of illustrations, the style guide they want you to use for citation. Sometimes it will tell you about the average length in time from submission to decisions. Oh, and um, I used to use, I haven't looked at it for a while, I used to use Ulrich's Web, which is a database that will list journals and if they are peer-reviewed or not what their circulation is if they are digital and or paper and that helped me as an author
0: think about where to send them to i'm wondering since you mentioned that you're targeting museum professionals with your program If there are specific issues that museum professionals come across with choosing a journal or publishing in a journal that tenure track or or grad students who are in academia face. Um,
1: Well, we're prioritizing junior museum staff for the Toward Equity and Publishing Program. And I recognize that museum staff, I'm thinking of curators in particular, curatorial staff have their museum and their catalogs and their wall labels as their first obligation professionally and consequently writing a very long 10,000 word piece is something that probably their institution should have first priority to publish not a journal no we have at my journal, we have short format, and another number, number of other places um, like Panorama, Archives of American Art have some short format opportunities. And I think that's a place where, if a curator prepared an exhibition proposal or did some extra research for a label that just grew and grew and grew, and it didn't turn out into be something with a catalog or didn't end up on the wall, then. That would be a potentially low-effort, high-profile win if they were able to get it published in a peer-reviewed journal. And I'm certainly open to that, and uh, I want to be careful about not being extractive with museum staff who do have different expectations on them than faculty in terms of publishing.
0: And it seems like the support system for them might be a little bit different as well, especially early career curators who... Might not feel the same way about their superiors, their relationship might be different than an advisor.
1: Oh, yeah, of course it would be. So, I'm wondering from your side of things, what do you think authors can do to get their manuscripts ready for a su- successful submission and likely acceptance?
0: Speaking from my point of view as a copy editor, <laughs> but also thinking towards the de- developmental side since we're discussing. You know, pre-submission. I think that it's really important that authors focus on creating an article that is fully formed and isn't at an early draft stage. And as an editor, both working on for a journal and as a freelancer, I've seen sort of the spectrum. And I think that the further along you can get in the process earlier before you submit. The better chances you will have for a journal editor to consider the content and contribution of your article rather than be too focused on the copy and the problems with language. And a lot of people see this as they're writing their dissertation, that your advisor will focus really heavily on your copy and the grammatical mistakes that you make, and they will start to forget about the contribution you're trying to make in your argument. So what you want is for your article or your argument to really come out as early as possible in the process so that, you know, your peer reviewers, the journal editors are, are focused on that because that's really where your contribution comes, comes forward. So I would definitely pay attention to the journal's guidelines as well. Um, they're not just there for the end point in the process. Uh, it really should come to the editor fully conforming to all those guidelines, including the length. You know, think about font and how it's laid out on the page. The caption format is something that people oftentimes uh, ignore. But think about whether or not your journal has to pay somebody to edit that. And that's costing them money if you you don't have those already written. Think Think about hiring someone to help you if you have problems along the way and you're not in a program uh, like the Toward Equity and Publishing program, if you're, for example, an ESL author, a non-native English-speaking author, and you need some help with your grammar, it can be very worthwhile to, to have somebody who knows the rules and who can really help you get your prose into a publishable standard before you're submitting. I also want to note that, you know, while American art has a great structure set up, a lot of other journals do not offer fact checking. They don't offer help with permissions. They don't have the same type of copy editing that you might get if you hired somebody on your own where you have full control over the process. When I worked at a journal, another journal that was for profit publisher, they outsourced all the editing. And I know a lot of the authors were not 100% happy. If you find yourself in that position and you're able to financially, I would seek out the help of somebody who can get your submission to a point where you're a hundred percent happy with it and you have control of the process. As far as you can, <laughs> I can't control what the peer reviewers are going to say, but you know, I can help you get to that point where your, your journal editors are really going to pay attention. So
1: that's all really great concrete advice. I, I, I hope it all sinks in. And if you take the long view, what you wish you had known as a writer that you now know as an editor, what do you think that might be?
0: Well, you know, as an editor, I've seen the full gamut of people from early career to later in their career. And I've seen early drafts to fully laid out proofs. And I have to say that writing is both an innate talent and something that you can develop over time. For me personally, when I was in grad school and early career, I was not a very strong writer, and it took a lot of practice for me to get to the point where I can write something in a very short amount of time. Even as an editor, though, I still hire people to work on my own writing. So just because you need assistance does not mean that you're a bad writer. It means that you know how to find the team to help support you. So writing for me is a collaborative process. I'm not so concerned with having my name all, written all over everything, but you know I'm alt act, so for me it's not so important uh, in my career path for that. But I really think that it's important to be able to find your team and to be able to use them strategically, especially if you're trying to publish more. And what about yourself?
1: Well, I think acknowledging that it's going to it can take a lot of time. That revision is most of the process of writing and. It's important to be humble and responsive and on time, which I'm still working on. Yeah. It's I think as a lot of uh, I, I really feel for my writers who want to keep making something better, 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 and yet there is a time to release it. So that the rest of us can enjoy it. Well, I really enjoyed this time with you. Thank you so much for inviting me to come and speak. Could I just give one last plug for our program? It's Toward Equity in Publishing. The next deadline is September 15th. If you are interested, reach out to the journal Um, with any questions you have. We have a website where you can find us, AmericanArt.Si.edu forward slash research under that you'll see the journal and toward equity and publishing as well as uh, other aspects of the research and scholarly center like our wonderful internship and fellowship programs
0: well thanks so much robin Peter again i'm kara jordan if you're not able to apply to the program or if you find yourself in need of help at any other point during the year flat page is available i have 25 editors currently on my team. Uh, All of them can help you with different aspects of the publishing process. And you can find out more about us at flatpage.com. Thanks,
1: Kara.